0: Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to come boldly before your throne of grace. Father, I pray that you will touch my lips with a call from off your altar that I may present your thoughts here today through my words and my tone of voice and my body language and father, I pray that you will send mighty angels to watch over those that are watching and listening that you may touch the eyes and ears of those watching and listening that they may see and hear your thoughts as well and not mine. Father, I pray for the power of your word to come forward. Father, I pray that people will see and understand the importance of this topic. And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this series, we're going to be looking at three witnesses. Now, this is going to be a five-part series looking at three different witnesses. Now, why five parts if there's three witnesses? (laughs) Well, because the first part, which we're going to be looking at now, is the first witness. And then the second video is going to be the first part of the second witness. And then the third video is going to be the second part of the second witness, and then the fourth video is going to be revealing the third witness, and then the fifth video is going to be revealing all three witnesses and taking all three of them and showing how they work together in a beautiful and powerful way. So I would encourage you to watch all five parts of this video, this video series, because each and every one of them are extremely important. I've boiled and condensed this down just about as far as I can. So let's go ahead and get started with the first witness. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus tells us, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay, so why did Jesus say this? because he knew the same thing that Paul knew in Acts 20, 29. For I know this, saith Paul, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus knew that there would be those who would attack the flock and try to undermine the faith by undermining the truth. There are many ways that this has been attempted and many ways that this has been done but I'm gonna look at one way here today by undermining the first witness, the Bible. Now John Adams wrote to Thomas Jefferson and spoke scathingly about the Jesuits and feared that they would enter into the country in swarms and he condemned them very strongly by saying the following, if ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is this society of layolas. Well, that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. And, and again, that was, that was um, John Adams writing to Thomas Jefferson. So this is nothing new. And the next thing that I'm going to read to you, you probably will not ever have heard in history class. I know I never heard it in history but nonetheless, it's there. Now Abraham Lincoln himself said this. He said, it is not against the Americans of the South alone that I am fighting. It is more against the Pope of Rome and his perfidious Jesuits and their blind and bloodthirsty slaves that we have to defend ourselves. Now I certainly never heard anything about that one in my history classes. But it makes sense. Friends, do you think that the dragon would leave the country alone that protected the woman in the wilderness? Of course not. Do you think he would simply resign himself to the fact that God had a safe haven for his church, and do you think he would just let it go? Or do you think that he would redouble his efforts to infiltrate and change the national stronghold of God's church? He's not one to lay down and just give up. Friends, his life is on the line. Now this next statement is not from Adventists. It is from uh, the report of the Centenary Conference of Protestant Missions of the World, Exeter Hall, London, 1888, very powerful statement. It says, the missionary program of the Vatican, doubt it who may, embraces the conversion of Britain and the United States of America, And through them the subjugation of the whole world does this not fit Bible prophecy the beast with lamb-like horns that spake as a dragon now my point here is not to get into Bible prophecy but to point out the method with which Babylon uses infiltration and deception infiltration and deception. Remember Matthew 7:15, where Jesus was talking about uh, false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing? Infiltration and deception. A part of the Jesuit oath goes something like this. My son, heretofore you have been taught to act the dissembler, among the reformers to be a reformer, among the Calvinists to be a Calvinist, among the Protestants to be a Protestant, and obtaining their confidence to seek even to preach from their pulpits. You have been taught your duty as a spy to ingratiate yourself into the confidence of heretics of every class and character, as well as among the schools and universities. Now, there's so many different ways that I I could take this and we could talk about this. Uh, like preaching from the pulpits and and so on and so forth. But the the point that I want to take here and drive home is the plan of the society, Leola's society, was to overthrow the Bible-based education of Protestantism. To overthrow the Bible-based education of Protestantism. Now, Charles Spurgeon had this to say, speaking of uh, Jesuit infiltrators, He said, they keep back a portion of the gospel, having studied in the the devil's new Jesuitical college. You see, friends, they can teach truth so long as they don't teach all the truth. Now, I've seen so many pastors speaking the truth only to fall on their theological faces at the end of their sermon, at the end of their presentation. They conclude Their conclusions just aren't there. They're not there. The information was so good. It was so powerful. And you could see the truth that they were leading up to, but then it just fizzled out. Now, if someone gives you a car, but it's missing one wheel, how does that really do you any good? Let's say they give you a Porsche. But it's missing a wheel and and you can't replace that wheel What good is it does it do you it could be a hundred thousand dollar car it could be a hundred eighty thousand dollar car But if it's sitting in your, in your in your yard without a wheel, it's junk, right? It's one thing to give the truth but friends when pastors and preachers give the truth, but don't give all of the truth they stop proclaiming the messages that are given then that is exactly what the Jesuits want, because that is exactly what the Jesuits do. The Jesuits' main purpose was to do away with Protestantism. This is why the Jesuit uh, army, if you will, was founded. And the best way of doing this was to get rid of the Protestant Bible. Now, Protestants, Protestantism spread mainly because of the printed Bible. In fact, uh, it was said of Tyndale to Popery, I will have the common plowboy to know more of the scriptures than you. And friends, he succeeded because of the printed Bible. Now, not to undermine uh, Martin Luther, Tyndale, Zwingli, Jerome, Huss, not to undermine any of these powerful preachers. They were very, very powerful preachers, to say the least. But when you go back and you look at the Reformation and you you look at the explosion of the Reformation, the explosion of the Reformation didn't happen because of Martin Luther's powerful preaching or or Tyndale or Zwingli or Jerome or Huss. The explosion within the Reformation happened because of the printed Bible. You see, prior to this point, it was Luther's word against the church's word. But as soon as the people, were able to see the word of God in their own language, then they could see Luther is right. Now all of a sudden, the reformation explodes with fervent heat and power. The Jesuits come along and they try to stop it and they, they, they put a, a death decree, if you will, on anybody who's got a Bible and they take all the Bibles and they, they try to burn them and they kill the people that have the Bibles, but it doesn't even slow the Reformation. Protestantism spread mainly because of the printed Bible and the Jesuits desired to reverse the Reformation by reversing or giving a false Bible. You see friends, if you understand what the foundation of something is, if you want to destroy that building, don't bother hitting the seventh floor and then the sixth floor and then the fifth floor. Friends, just go right straight to the foundation. Destroy the foundation and the whole building topples over, especially if you don't care what kind of damage it causes. Go right straight for the foundation, topple the whole building. That is exactly what the Jesuits have done. If you want to destroy the Reformation, you go straight for the foundation, which is the Reformation Bible. They tried to destroy the Reformation by burning the Bibles and killing the people. Didn't work. So they had to come up with a false Bible, or false Bibles, plural. And we will take um, a greater look at that as we go on. Now in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, we find that the Word of God says, "...then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Just as a quick side note here, friends, do not quote John 8.32 without quoting the context of John 8.31. It's not just the truth that sets you free. You have to understand what comes first in John 8.31 before you can be set free. Okay, So we see a mathematical formula, if you will, in John 8.31 and 32. We see the continuing in the word equals discipleship, which equals a knowledge of the truth, which equals freedom. Now, if you want to destroy the freedom, which is what the devil wants to do, he wants to destroy our freedom, the freedom that God wants to give to us. The best way to do that is to destroy the foundation, which is the word of God, but don't just take it away corrupted in such a way that people think they have freedom. And so that's exactly what he did. He destroyed the foundation by corrupting the word of God. So when you continue in a corrupt word of God, then you are going to be a corrupted disciple or you're going to have corrupted discipleship, which means you're going to have a corrupted knowledge of the truth, brothers and sisters, which means you are going to have a corrupt freedom. This is worse than having no freedom at all. Because if you've got no freedom at all, then, then you know that you're missing something. But when the freedom you have has simply been corrupted and you don't know that, then you don't look for true freedom. And this is exactly what the devil wants. So he didn't just take the Bible away, but he corrupted it. And then he hands it to the people and says, hey, here's a better version but it's corrupted. So it ends up in a corrupt discipleship, which ends up in a corrupt knowledge of the truth, which ends up in corrupt freedom. And when we have this corrupt freedom, we don't feel that we need freedom because we think we've got it. So if your foundation is not level and square, then the whole building will be out of level and out of square. And when you corrupt the Word of God, you corrupt the whole building of truth. Because the Word of God is the foundation of the truth. And so when you corrupt that, you corrupt everything else. And I really want to drive that point home. Because so many people say, well, what does it matter what Bible you've got? There's truth in all the Bibles. Yes, there is truth in, in all of the Bibles. But there's corrupted truth in those other versions. If you corrupt the foundation, then you've corrupted the whole building that stands on that foundation. Now, it was said of someone who's supposed to have overheard a Jesuit leader say, And this is what supposedly he heard him say, quote, Then the Bible, that serpent, which with head erect and eyes flashing, threatens us with its venom, shall be changed again into a rod as soon as we are able to seize it. For you know but too well that for three centuries past, this cruel asp has left us no repose. You well know with what folds it entwines us and with what fangs it gnaws us. Brothers and sisters, the Jesuits do not like the uncorrupted Word of God because it is something that they cannot get away from. It gnaws upon them. They can teach an error, but then somebody comes along and says, this is what the Word of God says. And people look at it and say, oh yeah, look at that. You're wrong. Speaking of the Jesuits, it gnaws at them. They don't like it because it points out the error. And I find it interesting that they're speaking. This Jesuit was speaking in uh, visuals of Moses and Aaron before the high priest or before the um, the king there, and the 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 stick, the rod that Aaron threw down that turned into um, the serpents. This is the visualization that's that's being used here. So, how do they destroy? this asp that has been gnawing on, uh, gnawing upon them by coming up with the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus. Now the Codex Sinaiticus is from, uh, supposedly, uh, from St. Catherine's Monastery at the base of the supposed Mount Sinai, and it has over 14,800 corrections in it. And the Pope himself expressed his quote, highest appreciation of the publication. Now, if the Pope were to give me a medal or to express high appreciations of me, I'm gonna go, hmm, what have I done wrong? What have I done to support him? Now, I don't go around focusing my theology upon whether the Pope likes it or doesn't like it. That's not what I do. But if the Pope comes along, I I base my theology upon the Word of God as I'm teaching here. But if the Pope comes along and likes what I'm saying, I've got to ask myself, what have I got wrong? If the Pope were to give me a medal like he did with Bakioki, I would have to ask myself, what have I done wrong? But he expressed the highest appreciation for the publication of the the Codex Sinaiticus. Now the Codex Vaticanus comes from the Vatican Library. Now in the 1880s, they were said to be more ancient than that used by the King James Version. Um, And they they were first supposedly found in the 1880s. And they were more ancient than that used by the King James Version, speaking of the Textus Receptus or the New Testament. Part of the King James. Now, I would like to point out the fact that both of these manuscripts come from the very bowels of the Antichrist power. I mean, the names themselves reveal this the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, right? Do you actually believe that the very power that is drunken with the blood of the saints and that wants to destroy Protestantism would not have altered these documents in some way or another? Do you really want to trust that? Do you really want to trust their theological skewed filter? No. These two documents ultimately support Babylon's doctrines and support the corrupt Latin Vulgate, which is, by the way, what the Catholic Church originally used to support its doctrines prior to Erasmus. These things unequivocally prove the, the corruption of the Latin Vulgate and they unequivocally prove the doctrines of the papacy. Do you really want to trust these things? So here is where Westcott and Hort enter with their revised Greek text or their critical text. Now critical text always Kind of kind of sends some hairs up on my neck because it it always reminds me of uh, critical um, Higher criticism I should say not critical thinking but the lack of critical thinking and higher Criticism and that's what the critical text is is really is higher criticism if you will and they come from the 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 Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus And they're used generally for what's called functional equivalence, which is simply a fancy word for paraphrase Paraphrase Bibles, which is an oxymoron, by the way Uh, You know what a paraphrase really means is we whoever paraphrased it we will tell you what the Bible says That's what a paraphrase is It's it's not the Bible friends. It's a commentary on the Bible and it's whoever made the commentary telling you what the Bible says Doesn't that kind of remind you of the Dark Ages? That's exactly what they did during the Dark Ages. You can't understand the Word of God So I will tell you what the Word of God says And that's what a paraphrase is That's exactly what a paraphrase is You know Westcott and Hort did not believe in the sonship of Christ. They did not believe in heaven hell miracles or many many other things now Would you put a thief in charge of a bank if you were the owner of a bank? Would you put a thief in charge of the bank? I hope not Would you put a fox in charge of the hen house? Well, not if you want any hens left over by morning, right? So what do you think is going to happen when you put unbelievers in charge of handling the word of God. There's not going to be much truth left when it's all said and done. Ezekiel 44 verse 7 and 8 says, In that ye have brought into my sanctuary strangers uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary, to pollute it, Even my house, when ye offer my bread, the fats and the blood, and they have broken my covenant because all your abominations, and ye have not kept the charge of mine holy things, but ye have set keepers of my charge in my sanctuary for yourselves. It is not what God wants to put the fox in charge of the hen house, to put the thief in charge of the bank, to put unbelievers in charge of the Word of God. Why does it matter? Romans 10:17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now the Word of God is thought inspired not word inspired and paraphrases tell you what the thoughts were based on their own interpretation and they do not know or they do not allow you to decide for yourself what the thoughts really were. Now, on this line every once in a while you will hear me quote from another version, but I will only quote from the other version as long as it, as it is in agreement with the King James. And I will quote it when it's saying uh, making something more plain than the King James. Or there's, it's saying it's simpler, than the King James. So I don't have a problem with that as long as you're quoting something or I'm quoting something or whatever, whoever's quoting it, it's quoted in agreement with the King James. But, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Friends, if you think you are reading the Word of God, but you are reading a corruption, do you think that you will actually walk away with an uncorrupted faith? No. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Corrupted faith would come by corrupted or hearing of the corrupted Word of God. If the Word of God is corrupt, then the faith is going to be corrupt. That's exactly what the devil wants. That's exactly what the Jesuits have done. And unfortunately, most people, instead of in the dark ages, the Bible was chained to the church wall and it was written in a language that was not in the common language. And so the people didn't have a choice, but today people have a choice and they buy the Jesuits material. They buy the corruption, they pay for the corruption, and they end up with a corrupt freedom, thinking they've got true freedom. Mark 16:16 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, why have I quoted this verse? What does this verse have anything to do with the validity of the Textus Receptus? Absolutely everything. And hopefully it'll be clear here. Absolutely everything. It is claimed that the Texas, uh, well, it is claimed that the Codex Sinaiticus and the and the Codex Vaticanus are older than the Texas Receptus. Now that's the claim, and I'm going to prove otherwise here. But the claim is that the Texas Receptus is mid fourth century. Now the reason it's mid fourth century is because the earlier versions are all destroyed. They've just not intentionally destroyed, they've just been, because of overuse, they've fallen apart. So the oldest one that anybody could find was mid-fourth century. Does that mean that the Texas Receptus is mid-fourth century? No. It just simply means that the, the older copies have fallen apart and couldn't be used anymore. But I just follow the thought process here for a moment. The Texas Receptus, they say, is mid-fourth century, and the the Codex Vaticanus and the, the Sinaiticus Early 4th century therefore they're older, which means they're more reliable again. That's just the thought process Okay, so follow me here But um, I actually I just want to take a quick little sidetrack here uh, Evidence actually suggests that the Vaticanus is actually was was actually written in the mid 15th century and the Sinaiticus was actually from the 19th century, written by one Simonides. Now, I'm not going to go into that history. It's a very interesting history. But again, I'm trying to trying to condense this down as much as I possibly can. So if you want to continue in on that topic, I really recommend that you look at that. Very interesting uh, topic in, in looking at how old the, the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus really are. But um, so the the newer versions, the versions that are coming from the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, the newer versions of the Bible do not actually have Mark 16:16 16, 16 in them, because the the Sinaiticus uh, and the Vaticanus don't have Mark 16:16. 16, 16. Or the the newer versions will will quote them, but they will say older manuscripts do not have this verse. In other words, saying. The King James really isn't accurate, is is really what they're trying to say. Because it's not as old as these ones. You want to go for the old ones. Now, here is what is very, very interesting. The Anti-Nicene Fathers are pre-4th century, okay? So the Anti-Nicene Fathers, pre-4th century, and then early 4th century, you've got the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, supposedly... And then, which is not actually true, I don't believe, and then mid-fourth century, you've got the Textus Receptus. So Textus Receptus, and then Sinaiticus Vaticanus, or uh, the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, and then the anti Nicene Fathers, okay? So what is so interesting about this is the anti Nicene Fathers being pre-fourth century actually, quotes Mark 1616. You know, this shows the Textus Receptus as actually the older set of manuscripts. It's the oldest set of manuscripts. The, the, the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus do not quote Mark 16, 16. The anti Nicene Fathers do, and they are pre-Vaticanus, um, Sinaiticus, and supposedly pre-Receptus, Textus Receptus. But the fact is, they weren't pre-textus receptus. The textus receptus is what was handed down from the disciples. And the anti-Nicene fathers quoted from that. And then later came the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. They are actually the ones that are corrupted. John 1.18, the King James Version says, or the Authorized Version says, no man has seen God in any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father he hath declared him now the new american standard says this no one has seen god at any time the only begotten god who is in the bosom of the father he hath explained says him but him is on a, is italics which means it's not there so do you see the difference one is showing that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. The other one is an oxymoron. He's the only begotten God. In other words, it's a role play. Ephesians 3.19, King James, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by... Jesus Christ. Now, the Westcott and Hort editions like to delete or delete the by Jesus Christ part. So what it says is which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things. And then it stops. So it muddles the differentiation between God who created all things by Jesus Christ. It it destroys that differentiation Making the Creator the God who created all things It was God who created all things yes, but he did it through Jesus Christ if you delete Jesus Christ Then it was God who deleted all things making Jesus that God that created all things so again, it's just It's destroying the independent personality if you will of the Father and the Son so these versions seek to do away with the sonship of Jesus and lower him to a divine spirit possessing a created human body. Thus, Babylon and her daughters can conclude that the Son of God did not truly die on the cross, but only a human body did, thus doing away with the sacrifice. This both tri and Unitarians are in agreement. Now, an RSV, or Revised Standard Version, was given to the Pope, and, quote, the Pope accepted the copy as a significant step in furthering ecumenical relations among the churches. Wow. The RSV, the Revised Standard Version, according to the Pope, furthers ecumenical relations among the churches. Why? We just looked at why. Why? because it's proving the same theology of uh, the Catholic system, the Babylonian system. And this is why they're pushing it so hard. This is why they came up with these uh, Codex Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, was to try to undermine the Reformation by undermining the foundation of the Reformation, which was the Reformation Bible, the King James or more sp- more precisely, the textus receptus. If something is being spoken highly of by the Pope, you've got to kind of wonder why. Why does he like this Bible? Why does he like what Westcott and Hort have done? Because these things have been Undermining Protestantism. Brothers and sisters, why do you think Protestantism has been sliding backwards back to Rome? It's because of these versions to a large degree. Adventism has accepted the NIV, which, brothers and sisters, is not a Bible, it is a commentary, and a bad one at that. It is a very it's it's a poor commentary at that So here's my main point the Protestant movement was spread mainly by the printing of the Bible So the Jesuits must corrupt Protestantism by spreading a corrupt Bible and That is exactly what they have done How many religions claim the Bible? Thousands claim the Bible. How many religions claim the King James? Hundreds claim the King James now. We have just went from thousands to hundreds. We have uh, Ferreted out thousands of different religions just by doing that alone But there are still hundreds that believe in the King James now Deuteronomy 1915 says at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established now in my studies I have found Three witnesses. Now you may say, but you just talked about 66 witnesses, We're referring to the Bible. <laughs> well, in a sense, you could say 66 witnesses. And if that's the case, then there would be 67, 68 witnesses that I have found. But it's just simply easier to distill the 66 witnesses down to one witness, if you will, referring to the Bible, and specifically the Reformation Bible, the Textus Receptus, or as we have today, the King James. That plus two other witnesses is what I have found. And I have found that all three witnesses confirm and uplift the other two witnesses, making for an unshakable foundation. Now, next time we will look at part one of the second witness, Timeline Prophets. Timeline Prophets, part one of the second witness. So I hope to see you there. And brothers and sisters, I pray that you will study this topic further. If you haven't studied this now, if you haven't studied this before, I pray that you will study this further because I really want to drive home. Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if the Word of God is corrupt, then the faith will be corrupt as well. And that's exactly what the devil wants. So friends, I pray that you will stand And I'm going to ask you now if you will stand on the Reformation Bible. Because this is exactly what God wants. He wants us to carry on the Reformation. And so if you are willing to take and hold firm to the Reformation Bible, I would ask that you would kneel with me now before God. And let's seal that commitment to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come boldly before your throne of grace, and Father, we thank you for that which you have shown to us in your word. We thank you also for that which you have shown to us in history. And Father, we want to take and we want to continue on the Reformation because we know that that Reformation was of you. So Father, I pray that you will help us to stand on the same Bible that the Reformers stood on, the Textus Receptus, that that we may... Hold fast to the truth which you have given to us in that word That we may have a true word a true discipleship and a true freedom Father the devil doesn't want this and so I pray for those that have committed now to to accept and to stand to take the Reformation Bible because the devil is going to try to convince them otherwise But Lord, I pray that you will send angels that will watch over and protect them and to push those devils aside that they may see the truth in the word that you have given. And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth